0: Get Katan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, um, maybe you've seen this stuff online or read about it in ladies' magazines about pheromone perfumes and creams that are supposedly going to attract mates willy-nilly and blind them to what we really look like and what our personalities really are. They're just going to bring
0: them from all sides. Oh, yeah. There's also that, uh, it reminds me of that scene in Anchorman where Paul Rudd's character pulls out that Black Panther (laughs) cologne that I think (laughs) is supposed to be made of, of some kind of pheromone. Right.
1: Well, it turns out in all of this reading that we have done... That unless you're a moth or some kind of butterfly or ant, perhaps a pig, Mm
0: -hmm. pheromones aren't going to do much for you. They might not. And if you are considering purchasing one of those pheromone perfumes, uh, you might want to rethink because chances are the active ingredient is a vaginal secretion from a rhesus monkey. I cringed
1: when I read that. Did you yeah. all just cringe? Cause I cringed.
0: I, I cringed a little bit.
1: Uh, <laughs> so, with that said. <laughs> right. Getting, getting the monkey secretions out of the way. Yeah.
0: So let's back up a minute and talk about, uh, maybe a, a timeline of mm-hmm. pheromones. Because the question we're asking today is, do human pheromones exist? And that human distinction is very important, as we will soon learn.
1: Right. Um, a lot of people have done research into insect pheromones. Mm-hmm. Um, and they thought, you know, like, maybe this could play a part in human attraction. But to uh, the people who coined the term pheromone were Peter Carlson and Martin Lucher, Uh And they came up with that word in 1959, which is derived from the word the Greek words for to carry mm-hmm. and to excite. So it's Carrying excitement. Yes. You're excited about your fellow moth or elephant.
0: And there are two major types of pheromones. Uh, one is a primer pheromone, which causes physiological changes like hormonal effects. And then there are releaser pheromones, which will produce rapid behavioral effects such as mating. Right. So when these naturalists in going back to the 1870s noticed the reaction of male moths to female moths, they thought something must be going on here.
1: Right. Actually, Carlson and Lucia were doing work with termites, apparently, and I had no idea. Apparently (laughs) termites have a caste system. Oh, so they were doing work to figure out why and how this caste system was held up. Mm-hmm. And they they figured out that these animals were giving off um, triggers. And so pheromones, as as we think of them now, um, it's the same definition as from the 1950s when they came up with all this great stuff pheromones describe a substance that an animal gives off to trigger a specific behavioral or developmental reaction in another member of the species. So, you know, how do ants find their way to a piece of candy? Mm -hmm. They're, they're talking to each other. They have the little pheromones, little scents and the little signals that tell each other, okay, there's food over here. We need to head this way.
0: Yeah. And they're leaving behind trails for the other ones behind to follow. Right.
1: So I think if you, if you try to, to like get some water or something and wipe away part of the ant trail, they get lost.
0: Because you're wiping away the pheromones, and that's also
1: mean. <laughs> um, but but this is—it's not just insects. Uh, there was, you know, there was a study earlier than than um, Carlson and Lucia on um, peacock moths, where uh, a researcher had a, a female peacock moth under a, a bell jar mm-hmm. and it kind of said this mesh doohickey, and it she attracted like 150. Male moths, yeah. which is disgusting. I'm terrified of moths. Well, and these
0: kind of moths, too, were pretty large. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> just imagine. Yeah. I'm imagining you as, uh, yeah. in like a scene from the birds, yeah. but it's just full of moths. God, um, man. yeah, the, the entomologist Joseph A. Littner and, uh, that French naturalist Jean-Henri Fabre, um, who had the, the peacock moths were first interested in this kind of insect attraction as a way to control insects. Yeah. So pheromone research really started as pest control. Right,
1: yeah, because if you can uh, stop whatever is making them want to create more moths and mm-hmm. more pinworms and more cockroaches, then you'll have fewer of them. And it's actually worked in some instances. Yeah. So In
0: uh, 1980, for instance, pheromones were used in more than a million traps to capture more than 4 billion beetles in the forests of Norway and Sweden because they were trying to curb an epidemic of bark beetles. Right, And was-
1: actually, it really saved those forests.
0: Yeah. Four billion beetles. <laughs> I'm going to put that in your room with all the moths.
1: Um, I <laughs> will have a panic attack.
0: Thank you. <laughs> and now you transformed it to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> I
1: am. And I, 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 you know, I always think about how I would never put my hand in that thing where <sighs> Willie has to stick her hand mm-hmm. in and pull the lever. No, it would never yeah. happen. scared. But um, okay, so all this insect research was was pretty was pretty clear. You know, obviously there are these chemicals, these signals that bugs are putting out to attract each other. Um, But what about mammals? So there's a pig pheromone that turns a sow's attention solely to mating, Mm -hmm. and they were able. Well, the pheromone stuff for people might not be that great of an invention. It might not actually work. It does work for pigs. Oh, yeah. Farmers actually have the thing that they can spray and it gets the pig ready for whatever is about to happen.
0: And that would be probably an example of the releaser pheromone that produced the rapid behavioral effects.
1: Right. Um, and elephants secrete some hormones from a gland in their forehead region. And it attracts it, like the stronger it is and the stronger the smell of the urine uh the more it attracts estrus female elephants oh.
0: yeah well and then there was a study um at the Worcester Foundation for Experimental Biology and this was one of the initial studies trying to figure out whether or not they could identify pheromone compounds in mammals and they again this always there's a lot of vaginal secretion mm. in pheromone research mm-hmm. they took um a male golden hamster and just rubbed him down with uh, female golden hamster vaginal secretions and put him in a cage and then brought other male golden hamsters into the cage to see what would happen. Lo and behold, the uh, male golden hamsters were turned on by the vaginal secretions and tried to mate with the right. other male golden hamsters.
1: So it's not that they so much know. It's not like they knew he was a, a male. Ha- it's weird. It's like the, the pheromones are telling them, this is who you need to mate with. Yeah. Yeah. And so it didn't matter that he was a boy hamster. Yeah, that has they nothing like, to do with
0: biology. Just yeah. And it be, it's all because they were sensing this through something called the vomeronasal organ or the VNO.
1: Right. It's actually independent from our main olfactory system. So mm-hmm. it's not like we are, when I say we, I kind of mean everybody. It's not like we are smelling yeah. It's, yeah it's more like a sensory thing so so animals insects they all have this thing but we actually lost ours we we don't have the tissue anymore um it's located the what is it the vno mm-hmm. for short cuz that's a lot easier to say than nasal organ um it is located above the roof of the mouth and it evolved to detect large molecules and molecules that are dissolved in liquids which is why your dog licks other dogs as a way of saying, Hey, what's up? What have you been up to? Yeah. What's what, new in your life?
0: Well, animals will preen each other.
1: Exactly. just
0: their VNO kicking in. Right.
1: But, you know, we are not dogs. So no, thankfully, no, we're thankfully not. we don't lick each other to say hello because that's disgusting or honeybees or moss. We're, we're none of these things. Um, yeah, like I said, we don't have a functioning VNO. We have the tissue as embryos, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it disappears after birth. So
0: we don't have it, and yet there are these series of studies done that indicate that some kind of pheromone-induced behavior is going on. And one of the biggest things, that, um, one of the most landmark studies that we have to mention that we brought up in our podcast a long time ago on whether or not girls or women, excuse me, periods will, will sync up. In 1971, Martha McClinic, who's a University of Chicago psychologist, has a study um, saying that yes, menstrual synchrony, also known as the McClinic effect, does indeed exist because she charted the menstrual patterns of 135 college girls living together in a dorm, found some overlaps and presto, it happens. And she assumed that there had to be some kind of hormonal influence. And then we have McClinic in 1998 coming back with this study, finding that women who were exposed to cotton pads soaked with underarm secretions, by that we mean sweat, <laughs> collected from uh, donors, undergoing their first and second phases of their menstrual cycles would influence the menstrual cycle of the women who had the uh, the pads under their noses.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I mean, we're obviously, you know, I, we evolved from bacteria as having this response to chemicals, mm-hmm. chemicals tell us to do things that maybe we're not aware that we actually want to do. Or yeah. Whatever. I, I'm kind of stuck with <laughs> this explanation, but basically, so we can't smell them and we don't seem to have a functioning receptor for them, but, um, research has shown that we, we do, you know, there are effects that we feel from, um, from some sort of hormone. Right. And there are a couple of compounds that are maybe thought to be pheromones. It just hasn't been proved yet.
0: Right. Um, we, we should probably bring up the the dirty T-shirt study, mm-hmm. which is um, one that we've talked about before in the podcast. And the first one took place in 1995. And I want to say that they've gone back and retested this um, in more recent years. But basically they had heterosexual women sniff dirty undershirts belonging to men without seeing their faces. And they uh, would look at the guys and rate their attractiveness And long story short, the men with the, who smelled the most attractive from their dirty undershirts ended up having the uh, most different gene complex Mm -hmm. of the women who found them the most attractive.
1: Right. You're looking for somebody who's not your brother.
0: Exactly. Avoiding, avoiding, uh, inbreeding. So maybe it's something to do with sweat.
1: Could be. There's something in our sweat glands. Yeah. And it creating is creating
0: magic. Yeah. And it's a it, well, there's a steroid and a derivative of testosterone called Uh And m- men have more of this than women. Mm-hmm. And so they think thought for a while that perhaps this uh, testosterone derivative is the pheromone. Right. But in 2007, that kind of went out the window.
1: Right. Andreas Keller, a geneticist at Rockefeller University, Discovered that really it kind of depends. Depending on your olfactory uh, genes, you could either find that chemical pleasant, mm-hmm. you could find it completely repulsive, or you would just not even be able to detect it at all. So it's really kind of a, a singular, you know, it, it depends on, on your nose.
0: Yeah. Although we, we got to put nose in quotes because right. remember, pheromones, although they're often characterized as these uh, innate smells that we somehow sense, we aren't really, we aren't processing them in our noses, and again, we're also um, saying that uh, there is no complete scientific proof that pheromones, human pheromones, really exist, and certainly not in the way that they might in uh, silkworm moths. Right. And this is probably because, as the Howard Hughes Medical Institute points out, compared to insects whose behavior is stereotyped and highly predictable, mammals, such as we are, are independent ornery and complex.
1: Yeah, we I mean there's so much more to um to love and sex among humans than just like I like your chemicals. Yeah. You know, uh, Tristram Wyatt of Oxford University is kind of like <laughs> in doing all this research, he he must be the pheromone guy.
0: He really likes pheromone he studies. He <laughs> loves
1: pheromones. Um so Wyatt said that it's it's so much more than just visual and social signals, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're emotional people. We have preferences and prejudices. Um, you know, it, it might matter that I like the same music as someone, or we come from the same background uh, than if, if your chemicals are, are good smelling.
0: Yeah. And it makes sense that we would be uh, possibly driven to those, those different uh, gene complexes to ensure, you know, that we could have a healthier offspring, but yeah, I mean boiling everything down to one love potion number 9 seems I don't know that also kind of take the take the fun out of things, but going back to that Randy Hutter Epstein article in Slate and she also wrote um a similar article for Psychology Today. She uh she was so frustrated with seeing all of these um recommendations in Shape magazine on yourtango.com and in, surprise here, Cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. about how to enhance your pheromonal attraction or attractive powers, I should say. Um, and for instance, Shape Magazine recommends that couples work out together and don't shower immediately because you continue to release attraction-boosting hormones for an hour after you finish exercising. Um Also, you know, like, don't put perfume on your neck, breasts, or genitals because that will quote unquote hide the important pheromones that drive men wild.
1: And my favorite. Yeah. From Cosmo. This is, yeah. Just don't wear underwear. Mm
0: -hmm. Because, and this is also, this is a direct quote because odors in your pheromones will more easily waft into the air and be picked up subliminally by the primitive part of his brain.
1: I don't, I don't want anything wafting. Not, I mean, I don't want to refer back to our douchey <laughs> podcast or anything, but let's, we we all saw what happened with Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears. Just put underwear on. <laughs>
0: um, a PSA from, Ms. from Caroline. Caroline Irvin.
1: Right. Well, no, actually one of my favorite quotes regarding all of this, all of this hooey with the pheromone perfume is from Stuart Firestein of Columbia University, he said, let's just say someone sold me this pheromone so that I could attract women. There's no supermodel pheromone. So I put this stuff on and I'm deluged, deluged with horny women of all sorts. And the only thing they have in common
0: is they all have a nose.
1: What good is that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of guy friends who would love to be deluged with women.
0: <laughs> and if you're still wondering, you know, like what the what the science is saying, uh, just just take it from the uh, the book title. All right. Richard Doty, director of University of Pennsylvania's Smell and Taste Research Center, wrote the book entitled, really sums it all up, The Great Pheromone Myth. Yeah. He says
1: it's all mythology. Mm-hmm. It plays into how we want there to be something more primal and, and special about the attraction we have to someone.
0: Right. And it's not, again, like the science can be a little, a little tricky to untangle because they're not saying that there aren't some kind of chemical signals that go on. Between people, but it's not, just, in the, but we're not in the same way as moths. right? And we <laughs> we
1: have yet to really nail something down for certain. Mm-hmm. So while I mean we've pinpointed stuff in, in insects, it's it's it hasn't been as easy in humans. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it was also interesting that Keller study, Caroline that you mentioned that found that if there is well, that found that people's reactions to that compound in sweat varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um. Just kind of like attraction in general, it varies from person <laughs> to person. But there was one um, Swedish study from 2005. Just to throw out one more kind of pheromone-related study uh, that that had an in- interesting hypothesis about pheromones, the hypothalamus, and possibly biological basis for uh, homosexuality.
1: Right. Yeah. This was actually really interesting. Um... The study looked into the effects on the brain of two chemicals. There was a testosterone derivative produced in men's sweat and an estrogen-like compound in women's urine, both of which they thought are, you know, could be potential pheromones. Um, these two chemicals activate the brain in a very different way than normal scents do. So it's not like you're smelling freshly baked cookies or something, and you're mm-hmm. like, mm, "Cookies." <laughs> it's, it's something more um, subliminal. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. So anyway, the estrogen-like compound just activated the typical scent receptors in women, you know, didn't do anything special. But in men, it lit up the hypothalamus, a region of the brain that governs sexual behavior. Now, for the male sweat chemical, that activated the hypothalamus in women, but just the usual receptors in men. However, they repeated the study and included gay men as a third group, Mm -hmm. and that had interesting results. They found that uh, gay men responded to the two compounds in the exact same way that women did.
0: So when they smelled the the male sweat, in other words, it left the same area of the hypothalamus as it did in the women. And they tested this, too, on gay women. And for some reason, the the New York Times article is sort of vague about it, but the researchers said that the results needed further assessment before they could offer any types of conclusions and so again this is just another example of yes we're seeing some kind of behavioral or f- physiological change but they're not exactly sure what genetic components are are causing it
1: right so it's all sort of up in the air unless you're a moth unless if you're a moth <laughs> listening to our podcast or if- fascinating. <laughs>
0: Silkworms out there everywhere. Like, this explains everything. I
1: I just can't get that lady moth out of my head.
0: But again, just remember, uh, if you are tempted to pick up some of that pheromone guaranteed perfume, just think about rhesus rhesus monkeys, monkeys, vaginal secretions, active ingredient. So with that, we invite your thoughts on pheromones, mom stuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. And I've got an email here from Nathan and it's in response to our episode on romance novels, and he offers this multicultural insight. He writes, one of the largest romance fiction markets in Japan is for the kind of choose-your-own adventure style of games called bishojo. Since 1982, men have been reading through novel-length romance stories to develop serious relationships with imaginary characters in a very similar way to how women build imaginary relationships in American and European romance novels. There may not be as much scientific literature about the relationship between these two because of their separation between industries. But really, is an, it is an important topic not to forget. If y'all can find research for the multicultural aspects of your topics, they would definitely appeal to a wider audience. So I'd never heard of the uh, show, Very interesting. Neither have I. Okay, this is an email from
1: Jamie about our HPV episode. She said, I do want to clarify something you said on the show. That West Virginia and DC have HPV mandates for middle school girls. While the word mandate is accurate, it is misleading given the number of exemptions parents can get. In both these states slash municipalities, parents can choose not to vaccinate their daughters on their sole discretion without any religious or medical reason, a so-called philosophical exemption. Given that anyone who wants can exempt, it's not fair to necessarily call these bills mandates. Rather, the purpose of the bill is to provide vaccines to children who don't have access to high-quality medical care. By mandating vaccines, families are more aware of their necessity. The state ensures that vaccines are made available for all children. And most important of all, low-income children can receive mandated vaccines for free through the federal Vaccines for Children program. Thus, the purpose of these bills is not to force children to be vaccinated, a common misperception in the general press, but rather to provide vaccines to those children who tend to slip through the cracks of the medical system.
0: Thanks, Jamie. And I have to offer a quick correction right now from okay. our Drag Queens podcast. Mm-hmm. I believe we referenced the Stonewall riots that's happening in San Francisco. They were in New York. It was in New York. Yeah. What were we thinking? I don't know. Guess not. <laughs> we,
1: yeah, we were just spread a lot of stuff.
0: It happens. Got mixed up. So if you have anything to send our way, again, email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. We'd also love to see you over on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. You can check out the blog during the week. It's stuff mom never told you at howstuffworks.com. The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson.
1: And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy?
0: We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete.
1: We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.